Here we go, the official show here on the Fish Stripes podcast. I'm Eli Sussman, managing editor at Fish Stripes, where we cover all things Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This episode is brought to you by Symbol, the stock market for sports. Appreciate everybody joining us here on a Thursday. This is going to be an all-pitching episode where we just focus on the guys on the mound coming off a day where three of my most intriguing players in the entire Marlins organization officially made their regular season debuts as Marlins prospects or major leaguers. So as you can see in the title of this podcast, those three guys are Max Meyer, Dax Fulton, and Anthony Bender. Hashtag Bendermania. We got to see all three of those guys in action on Wednesday, and we are going to, it's a blend. It's a blend, of course, of the prospects and of the major leagues. Usually we keep those separate, right? Here on the official show, we try to keep the focus on the Major League Marlins team and big picture situation with the franchise. And for prospect coverage, we we have all the written coverage up at fishstripes.com slash prospects. We have our new Twitter account at Fish Prospects on Twitter that covers all those in-game actions. And we have our separate podcast episodes usually called Earning Their Stripes. But in this situation, I felt it's appropriate to blend them together because the Marlins have so much invested in these two particular prospects, Max Meyer and Dax Fulton. We're going to start with them. And then later in the episode, we're going to dissect Anthony Bender's thrilling major league debut and have a longer conversation about the state of the Marlins bullpen coming off a game where they relied entirely on their relief pitchers to get through Wednesday's blowout win over the Diamondbacks. We start with the prospects, the top two picks that the Marlins made in the 2020 MLB draft. Combined between Meyer and Fulton, they have more than $9 million dollars invested in these two guys in terms of the signing bonuses that they received last summer when signing with the team. Quickly, just to get everybody up to speed in case you don't aren't locked in on the prospect side all that closely, the, I'll go through the scouting reports that we had on these two guys prior to this game, obviously. With Meyer, this is going to be kind of a consolidation between Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, fan graphs, things that they could really agree upon that the characteristics of these pitchers. With Max Meyer, number three overall pick in the 2020 draft, a little bit of a surprise that the Marlins got him that high, but not totally considering just the incredible stuff that he has. Uh, A special, special slider. Everybody agrees on that. In fact, Baseball America just earlier this week called it the number one breaking ball in all of minor league baseball, that slider. His fastball, uh, don't want to be completely overshadowed, it can touch 100 miles per hour at its best um, on usually sitting in the mid-90s with its velocity. Two plus pitches, slider really being a double plus pitch is a a potential transformational pitch, but the fastball is great too. And then there's the changeup. During his media availability with us, I think it was on Sunday at AA Pensacola, Meyer was pretty insistent that his changeup continues to come a long way. I feel like my junior year of college, I was throwing it pretty well, but, you know, my fastball and slider was just dominating hitters, so I didn't really feel the need to mess around with the changeup. Um, but then when I got here, 
I got a lot of good movement on it, um, really good movement. But sometimes when I throw it, it'd be just like a ball out of ball hand. So, you know, it has good movement, but I just need to get in the zone. And once I was able to work on pens and live hitters, just making sure it was in the zone, starting maybe at uh, if the lefty's in the box, like his hands, and then it'll drop right in the zone. And uh, that's where it's going to become really good for me. And I've, I've been able to really dial that in. Uh, all the scouts believe that at least it has the potential to be an average pitch if he gets more consistency with it, more depth with that pitch. Uh, with these, all these offerings, he has reliable control. And the real only knock on Max Meyer, the reason why he wasn't considered by many to be a contender for the number three pick in the draft or the top pitcher off the board overall in that draft class, is that he's slightly undersized. He's listed at six feet. Uh, not even 200 pounds, maybe about 190-ish. That's less than what you expect from a starting pitcher. And traditionally in baseball, when you are that size, there's this arbitrary cutoff that you want to be a little over six feet, you want to be well over 200 pounds. And if you're not, then teams historically are generally going to push you towards the bullpen in a relief role. They're concerned that you just don't have the, the physical bulk to hold up over X number of pitches in the game or a certain number of starts over a season. And just because of that, there's that bias working against him. Overall scouting grade from these different outlets, most of them ha- have him right around a 55 prospect on the 20 to 80 scale, where 50 is about a major league average player. They think pretty comfortably that he can be an above average major leaguer if he just continues doing what he's doing. He is highly regarded as being quick to the majors. There was that hint that he might come up at some point last year, but realistically, um, even entering this start, there was a hope that he could be in the majors later here in 2021 because of how polished he is coming out of the University of Minnesota. Dax Fulton, uh, some similarities, as you'll find out in a moment, but also a much different stage of his career, Fulton, where he he was drafted out of high school in Oklahoma, and when the Marlins selected him, the reason why he was even available to them with their second pick is that he underwent Tommy John surgery in September 2019. Prior to that, most evaluators had a first-round grade on him. And why was that? Again, this is referring to scouting reports from Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, Fangraphs. They love his curveball. It's a plus curveball that has good depth to it. His fastball sits prior to surgery, sitting in the low 90s, 89 to 93, maybe 90 to 94, um, where for a left-hander, that's extremely solid, especially for, at at the time, a 17-year-old left-hander, and Fulton is now 19 years old. So in addition to the curveball and the fastball, um, there's optimism with that velocity that it would go up coming out of Tommy John surgery. We have seen that again and again, that with Tommy John, it could take you a while to get back. In this case, Fulton needed, what, a full 20 months between appearances, between undergoing surgery and appearing in his first affiliated game with low A Jupiter. But once you get back from that surgery, and if you have the opportunity to put on some good weight during your rehab, that velocity could tick up from where it was prior to that. Um, in addition to those two pitches, Fulton's changeup has average potential, maybe not quite as optimistic optimistic about it as with Max Meyer's changeup, but nonetheless, a, a real third pitch, which is so critical if you're going to try to stick as a starting pitcher. With Meyer, the reason why 
uh, he has overcome some of the doubts about his size is that he's just an excellent athlete. You could see it in his delivery and you can see it in the fact that he played um, both sides of the ball at Minnesota at times in college, that his athleticism is, is something that being able to repeat his delivery again and again and again, that will help him avoid injuries. And with Fulton, it's uh, he's a much different build. I mean, if anything, he has uh, the ideal size for a pitching prospect at six foot six and about almost two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Uh, however, he has that same kind of athleticism to it and repeatability in his delivery that lends some optimism that he can be a consistent pitcher and a starting pitcher. Overall grade on Fulton, though, as a prospect, is there's a larger range and a variety of opinions than with Meyer, whereas there's that consensus that Meyer could be an above-average starter in the majors. With Fulton, his scouting grade overall ranges generally between a 40 and a 50. So going to their debuts that happened on Wednesday, we'll start with Fulton with Jupiter, three innings pitched, Four hits allowed, three earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts. Took him 68 pitches. And one stat I like to use, I'll be using more and more, is CSW rates, called strikes plus whiffs. That that lets you know how much the pitcher is actually controlling the game uh, based on how many pitches they're locating accurately in the strike zone and how many bats they're missing. And with Fulton, just a 17.6% CSW percentage in this start, which is, that's really mediocre against the Mets affiliate here in the low A Southeast League. He allowed four stolen bases on the mound. He threw three wild pitches. He even hit a batter as well. Uh, so it was uh, the it was an adventure to say the least. In fact, coming out of the Jupiter bullpen in relief of him, Sean Reynolds, a converted first baseman, who's now a two-way player, Sean Reynolds was arguably the uh, more effective pitcher for Jupiter in this game instead of Fulton, who is um, universally regarded as, if not the best left-handed pitching prospect in the organization, then number two right behind uh, Braxton Garrett. So just based on the pitch tracking we got from MILB.com, most of his missed spots were to the arm side, uh, missing inside to left-handed batters, missing away to right-handed batters, indicative of somebody who just wasn't following all the way through on his delivery, his arm kind of trailing the rest of his body and not fully completing that motion. It was the first step for Fulton. Just great to see that he was available for this very first turn of the rotation beginning this minor league season. Obviously, a lot to work on with him, but the expectation is that he'll have all year in that Jupiter rotation, pitching about once a week. Um, it's, a, it's a first step, so encouraging just to see him out there in real competition. And then to Max Meyer, that's what all of you, I imagine, are really salivating over if you just saw the results. Five innings pitched, one hit that he allowed in that fifth and final inning. Zero runs, one walk, five Ks, 65 pitches, and going back to CSW, called, strict, called strikes plus whiffs, a 31% CSW rate in this game, which just to put it in perspective, compared to a major league game, that's well above average for a starting pitcher's performance. He did this against the AA Braves affiliate, Mississippi Braves, on the road. You know from that scouting report and from uh, just all the buzz around Meyer that the key for him is is his slider. That is what separates him from anybody else in this organization. And his slider was great in this game. The very first batter he faced, slider strikeout. 
The only hit that Meyer allowed in this game also came on a slider. He kind of hung it to a right-handed batter in the fifth inning, and it was a ground ball through the right side. Nearly perfect outside of that, man. It was um, as good as you could have hoped for for a very first outing for Meyer. It went according to plan. They had told us uh, on Sunday during the media availability he'd be limited to about five innings, and the plan going forward is that he'll be pitching about once per week that um, the team is playing six games a week. Some of the other starters may be on a, a five-day rest cycle, or but he'll they'll be extra careful with him, knowing that even in college, he spent some time pitching out of the bullpen. He just didn't get the opportunity to build up innings. So simply keeping him healthy for the season would be a huge win. And honestly, if he just stays healthy for this whole year, he might wind up in the majors before it's all said and done, because you could see the command that he had in this game was just that one walk. And the way he finished that outing was that put the cherry on top where he had a perfectly located fastball on the outside corner to a left-handed batter to get out of that fifth inning. And he knew it out of his hands. He had that nice strut coming off the mound in the fifth inning. Uh, incredible first step for Meyer. We're very grateful that we had an opportunity to see it. And then he'll be pitching this upcoming week for the first time at home in Pensacola, where my understanding is their television broadcast is even better. So you can see all the highlights of that. We have it written up on the site, Earning Their Stripes, our farm report, and we have more of the pitch highlights on our satellite Twitter account, at Fish Prospects. Great first step for Meyer at the AA level, and uh, Pensacola gets the win out of that as well. Next up, we are going to dive into Bender mania and exactly how this Marlins bullpen is shaping up as we get now 29 games into the regular season. It's been overhauled over the winter, and there's some interesting conclusions that I have to share about where we are with this relief core. We'll get right to that after this commercial break. Here at Fish Stripes, we are celebrating two months of partnership with Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge about MLB, the NFL, or the NBA to buy low, sell high, get those profits. Symbol has market analysis directly on their site. And on Fish Stripes, we do the same thing when it comes to the Marlins and other NL East teams getting you comfortable with how the platform works real quick. Join 2,000-plus early adopters who have already started to invest. Visit www.symbol.app, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P to create your free account. When you deposit, make sure to use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, FISHSTRIPES. That gets you a $10 deposit bonus so that you can begin building your portfolio. Promo code FISHSTRIPES to get that bonus on Symbol. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. One of my favorite moments of the Young Marlins season so far, Anthony Bender's debut at the Major League level. A quick refresher, this guy was electric in spring training. He threw harder than any other Marlins pitcher. He complemented it with a wipeout slider. He kept the ball on the ground. He showed great movement on his pitches in spring training. He, he didn't allow any runs during spring training play in eight and two-thirds innings, showing all the ingredients of a guy that could get out to the major league level, even though this is a pitcher with a very modest track record who, as recently as last year, was inconsistent pitching in independent leagues. 
that he came out of nowhere as a non-roster invitee to spring training. The Marlins didn't have a spot for him on the opening day roster, but thankfully they had the flexibility to keep him in their organization, assign him to the alternate training site, the fish tank. And right before the AAA season was about to get underway, uh, they had Bender tag along with them on their long road trip on their taxi squad just in case. They didn't need him then, but the situation came up perfectly right here earlier this week with the news that Paul Campbell had been suspended for a positive steroid test that cleared a spot on both the active and the 40-man roster. Uh, And in that immediate situation, Bender got the call. He joined the team uh, technically before Tuesday's game. Wasn't needed in that one. But here on Wednesday, they went with a full bullpen game. And especially when we got later in the game and the Marlins got a substantial lead, Don Mattingly was comfortable calling on Anthony Bender in this one. He was, from the very first batter, man, he looked exactly like the guy we saw in spring training, touching 99 miles per hour in this game. Bender had the nine fastest pitches of any pitcher on either team in Wednesday's game, maxing out at 99, consistently 97, 98 with his sinker. Very first batter that he faced. Incredible arm side run on that fastball to get the called strikeout. You have to see the highlights of that that we posted on Fish Stripes. And his first major league strikeout, 98 miles an hour. Welcome to the big leagues, Anthony Bender. My goodness. He, that's something you can't really teach to get that kind of movement on your fastball. He has it, two strikeouts in his one scoreless inning. He allowed one hit, a little, a single that went up the middle through 21 pitches overall and he showed he belonged plain and simple all he had to do was be the same guy we saw in spring training of course uh, facing the diamondbacks in this one that was a team that didn't get any looks at him during spring training so and of course this is just the first step in a very long road we'll see how the rest of the league adjusts to him when they get a chance to face him as well Uh, but my expectation is that he will be on this roster uh, indefinitely. No guarantees, of course. He needs to continue to earn it. and um, But for the moment, he is a big asset that they have. There are some similarities. This has been pointed out to me, that there are some similarities between Bender and some of the other right-handed pitchers in this bullpen in terms of having a, a, a great fastball and having a wipeout slider. Yimmy Garcia is a fastball slider guy. Jordan Holloway is a fastball slider guy. Who else am I thinking of? Of course, John Curtis, who we'll get to in a moment, a best example, fastball slider, and that's kind of all he throws. But Bender is a little bit different with the movement that he gets, the arm side movement that he gets on his fastball and his ability to throw that slider from strike for strikes. His release point is a little bit lower than you see with John Curtis, then with Jordan Holloway, and even with Zach Pop as well. He had another fastball slider from the right side that I feel there's enough uniqueness to what he does that um, that you still sort of get different looks that will blend together, that will complement each other, which is something that they've talked about on the the Marlins dating back to the offseason is creating a bullpen with a variety of looks so that each one of those pitchers can uh, be successful even when used in the same game, and I think Bender does just enough unique stuff to do that. But this is going to lead into a final topic, which is a wide-ranging breakdown of where we are with this Marlins bullpen uh, 29 games into the season, more than one-sixth of the way there. We knew this was a shaky element to the team last year. Last year, they had 
Brandon Kinsler uh, finding a way to get all those saves in high-pressure situations. They had Yimmy Garcia uh, in, as the best version of himself. And then there was a massive drop-off to the rest of the group. Last season's bullpen, a 550 ERA for the entire season, for the entire bullpen combined. And their fielder independent pitching, uh, right in line with that, if not slightly worse, a 565 FIP for the team's bullpen, for a team that miraculously made the playoffs, despite having simply some terrible performances from their relief pitchers. And this year, in terms of those big picture stats, it is a different story. Their ERA is down more than two full runs this year to 3.46. Their FIP is nearly down two runs as well to 3.82. Both of those marks um, much better than league average. In fact, the ERA is comfortably within the top 10 in the league. When you think of this bullpen and you think of where the Marlins record is and why they're struggling so much in uh, close games, of course, you go back to the fact that they have blown nine saves. Compared to all of last season, they only blew five as a group. So that's a obviously a very discouraging step back in that department. I just I don't think there's a whole lot of concern about that moving forward. Uh, it's not just been one guy. You know, it started with Anthony Bass. He blew two saves um, right there near the start of the season. But blown saves don't only have to be in the ninth inning. In fact, I mean, Bass's latest appearance, and we'll get to him in a moment too, uh, he came in the eighth inning with a one-run lead, gave up that lead, which was counted as a blown save as well. Uh, Yimmy Garcia had several blown saves in different, several different innings, one in extra innings, I think one in a setup role. Dylan Floro had a blown save uh, coming in in the ninth inning. Richard Blyer has at least one blown save this season, pitching in middle relief. It's not just been one guy, um, but most of these blown saves haven't really been egregious. I mean, a couple of them have been in extra innings when nursing a one-run lead with an automatic runner on second base. I, I'm of the opinion that that shouldn't even count as a blown save under those very unusual circumstances that are new to the game. So that's the one thing that has obviously cost some games early on, but when you just look at the overall performance of that, uh, their run prevention, their strikeouts and walks, their peripherals, and uh, even their strand rate as well. I, one reason why they overachieved a little bit out of the bullpen last season is that they stranded um, two-thirds of the runners that got on. Only 33% of base runners that were inherited scored. And this year, that's even ticked up slightly to just 32% of inherited runners coming around to score. So getting into a few individual players, Anthony Bass got off to uh, started the season on the wrong foot. Don Mattingly acted very swiftly and removed him from the closer's role when he realized something was wrong. I mean, what was wrong is that Bass just did not know where his pitches were going. So he was putting on automatic base runners with walks and, of course, that infamous Michael Conforto hit by pitch. Uh, but even more concerning is that he was missing in the strike zone. He was missing in different parts of the strike zone and keeping his pitches up so that opponents could do damage against them. As someone that came into the season with an extremely high ground ball rate and optimism that he could keep the ball in the infield to playing to a big strength of this Marlins team, he has not been able to do that. And honestly, I was so confused by, maybe some of us are, are watching the game a little bit differently, but he had this streak of eight straight scoreless appearances prior to coming into the game on a Tuesday. And uh, they brought him in in a very high leverage situation with a one-run lead in the eighth inning. That's about as close to a normal closer spot as you can get, just one inning prior to that. And uh, 
from the beginning. It was a head scratcher to me. I don't under, understand uh, anybody that really had confidence in him at that moment because even during the scoreless streak, uh, there were flashes of of nice stuff, of well located fastballs. Um, he's still not using a splitter as much as he said he would try to do this season to keep, uh, especially to keep left handed hitters off balance. And he wasn't missing many bats at all. This is a guy that I feel like has been the beneficiary of some exceptional defensive play, even more so than other pitchers on this team, and should not have been all that high up in the pecking order just because he was on this run of uh, keeping throwing up zeros on the scoreboard. I, f- I feel like a lot of that was out of his control, and honestly, Tuesday's result did not shock me at, at it, to any extent. And I hope Mattingly adjusts, because he has some strong candidates now to kind of fill out that bridge leading up to Yimmy Garcia, who I imagine is still firmly in that closer spot. Uh, the first one that needs to be highlighted is John Curtis, man. I mean, to this point in the season, uh, pitched two more scoreless innings on Wednesday and overall 18 strikeouts and zero walks on this season. No walks this entire season. It's You don't want to reduce relief pitching down to that simple of terms, but those are really the most important keys to a relief pitcher is not giving out free passes and creating strikeouts so that unproductive outs when you do have runners on base that need to be stranded, and he's doing that. Uh, Very early in the season, kind of like Anthony Bass, he got off to a concerning start, mainly because his slider just was not working at all. He's someone that even more so than Bass is limited to just a fastball slider combination, and early on in the season, his slider just was not sharp with its location or its movement. He made the adjustment. Uh, Credit to him. He figured it out and has been nearly perfect over the last month since those first couple appearances exceptional. And yet, Wednesday's game was just the second appearance this season that John Curtis had entered with a lead in a like significant position. There were a couple other close games and tied games that he entered in as well, but John Mattingly has not really regarded him as a trustworthy setup guy. I don't know what else he needs to see to change that because John Curtis is now locked in. Like this, It's a simple formula, but when you're able to locate both of those great pitches, uh, his fastball, as of yesterday, touching 97 miles per hour, he had some extra velo on that as well. He is feeling great right now, and I would hope that outside of Yimmy Garcia, outside of Dylan Floro, you guys know how I feel about Dylan Floro, how impressed I've been by him this season, that John Curtis should really be in that top three, uh, in that circle of trust. Guys in this bullpen that you unconditionally trust, uh, that I unconditionally trust, I hope Don Mattingly feels the same way, that those three, I believe, have really separate separated themselves from the rest of the group. Uh, Richard Blyer deserves a shout-out. He was the one that bailed out Bass on Tuesday night, uh, kept the game tied, entire, <laughs> dramatically swung the win probability in that game all by himself by striking out back-to-back-to-back batters. Just like John Curtis, Blyer has not allowed a walk all season long. Um, I believe I've talked about this previously, though, about what was going wrong for Blyer early on this season, that um, for someone that has been at the top of the list for years and years, uh, managing quality of contact, generating ground balls, that all the home runs that he was allowing earlier this season were a huge red flag with him, and he's quietly started to straighten that out. I mean, this appearance was perhaps the best that he's had ever since joining the Marlins. That goes without saying. 
Um, the key for him is not going to be missing bats moving forward because he is going to have limitations in that aspect of his game. His stuff simply is not that good. But as long as he is keeping the ball in the ballpark, um, I mean, that's the, that's what has led Blyer to this point, making him, he's arguably the most accomplished relief pitcher on this entire team prior to 2021. And uh, just great to see that he's kind of calming down. He's not really in that circle of trust yet, I would say, even though, I mean, uh, apparently Don Mattingly feels same way. If I was Mattingly, I would kind of flip Blyer and Curtis in terms of the situations that they're being used in. I feel Curtis is the one that is uh, more reliable because he has he could be more dominant with the stuff that he has. As long as Blyer is uh, pitching the way he has recently, though, it's a good problem to have, and he is someone that very soon you could start hot, holding in that same regard as someone that you trust in all these high leverage uh, situations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But... Uh, just to cap this off, I think it should be pointed out, uh, this has been really encouraging how the bullpen has performed. I mean, this was the main change to the team over the offseason. A lot of continuity on this team, except in the relief pitching. And most of the moves, you need to give credit to general manager Kim Eng that a lot of these moves uh, w- over one month into the season are looking great these new additions. Curtis was a new addition acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays. Dylan Floro, new addition, trade from the Dodgers. Uh, who else do we want to talk about? Of course, of course, Anthony Bender. Anthony Bender was a non-roster invitee to spring training that uh, they found and apparently other teams overlooked. And that's just uh, just to give some of it. The Rule 5 draft picks, we know that Paul Campbell uh, was, uh, well, let's not talk more about Paul Campbell, but Zach Pop. Zach Pop was the one who finished off Wednesday's win and He's been inconsistent, as you would expect, from someone coming off Tommy John, who, for the most part, had to skip the high levels of the minors due to his Rule 5 status. But for the vast majority of his outings, he has thrown up zeros, a couple notable blow-ups. And aside from those, he's been he's been great. He seems to be getting a lot better as the season is going on, which is all you can ask for a Rule 5 guy who, by, by rule, has to be in this bullpen if the Marlins want to uh, retain him. I, I see some really nice potential in Zach Pop looking long-term, even if in the short term, you mostly want to just hide him in a mop-up duty. I just want to point out that the Marlins have been fortunate with this bullpen. I think what we're seeing right now, this bullpen that, as mentioned, 3.46 ERA, 3.82 FIP, one of the best uh, strikeout minus walk rates in all of Major League Baseball this season, that this is probably the peak of what this bullpen looks like. You saw on Wednesday, five pitchers combining for a, a shutout. And need to give that final shout-out to uh, Ross Detweiler, who started this game, who looked was perfect in his two innings of work, and he's yet another new addition acquired over the offseason uh, for a guaranteed major league contract that uh, I personally did not believe he deserved, and yet he is, uh, for the most part, making good on that contract so far with his versatility to appear in different situations. I think this is the peak of what this bullpen looks like just because they've been very fortunate uh, in terms of their availability. We complain about the losses of 
Sixto Sanchez, of course, and Eliezer Hernandez, Starling Marte, Jazz Chisholm Jr., who else are we talking about? The time that Brian Anderson missed, that Jorge Alfaro is still out, but the bullpen has been almost exempt from the injury bug. The Marlins now, after Wednesday's game, have seven pitchers who have made 12 or more appearances, the guys that are appearing pretty consistently in different roles. Uh, Most of the names that we've mentioned, also Adam Simber as well, Uh, You know, him coming in in a lot of uh, precarious situations that Mattingly has had those guys available to him um, whenever he wants. And how unusual is that? Well, in this major league season, it makes them the exception to the rule. They are the only team in baseball that has had seven pitchers make 12 plus appearances. And that, I mean, aside from just having those guys available, that allows you as a manager to really get to know them, what makes them tick and what puts them in the best uh, situations to succeed. So the Marlins have been the beneficiary of that. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think you can count on that continuing the, this entire season, just based on the reality of this unusual situation coming off a shortened season, now trying to get through a full 162. Injuries are up all across baseball, and I'm not sure there's anything the Marlins can do to uh, completely prevent that on the relief pitching side. And the final guy I wanted to get to uh in some depth here is Jordan Holloway, who was had the biggest role, I would say, in Wednesday's win. He pitched three scoreless innings. He built himself all the way up to 61 pitches, which was far and away his highest total of the season. With Holloway, the story for him this year is that he has this reinvented slider into his pitch mix. He's always been a fastball, curveball guy and had nice potential with both of those pitches, but relying more than ever, more than anything else, like the primary weapon for him all of a sudden is this slider that has helped him get through overall 10 scoreless innings in the major league level. Holloway has not pitched at double A. He has not pitched at triple A. I mean, they rushed him to the majors last year uh, without the minor league season, and he barely got to show anything after contracting COVID-19. And now um, he's making the most of his opportunity that the initial thought was that he would be developing in double A this season as a starting pitcher. And um, simply he is refusing to do that with his performance. You cannot send him down if he has not allowed a run in the big leagues now through five appearances in the big leagues and now being able to show in this most recent outing that he can go through a lineup more than once that he faced some batters multiple times and got them out multiple times in this appearance. You do the math, and he pitches again uh, early next week, let's say, then all he stretched out pretty close to being a starting pitcher. If he did 61 pitches in this most recent game, you could easily get 70, 75 from him the next time out, if not 80. So we'll finish it off right there here on Thursday. Eli Sussman here on the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. Five-star reviews, please. Uh, aside from the official show, be sure to check out our small pods that we do every weekday with A.T. Wardall and uh, Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, exciting finish of this homestand coming up. The Marlins aiming for their very first series sweep of the entire 2021 season. And then after that, beginning on Friday, a series against the banked-up Milwaukee Brewers. An, an opportunity to really put together their by far their strongest homestand of the season and potentially thrust themselves back near the top of the NL East division. We know how tightly contested this division has been so far, and the Marlins, despite some inconsistencies in certain areas, thankfully the bullpen has um, been an impressive 
improvement for them compared to last season, helping to keep them in the mix for the uh, return to October baseball. A long way away. We'll be with you every step of the way here on Fish Stripes. Go Fish!